Um, hey everybody, uh, thanks for joining us on Skype with Scientist Live. Today we're talking to Jake Belair. He's a zookeeper at the Nashville Zoo. We're so excited to have him because he's the best. And so, um, yeah, so things to know about. We are a nonprofit organization, so please donate um, if you can. We are totally donor supported, so without your support, we couldn't exist. And we're supporting um, a lot of science communication happening now, but pretty much all the time, no matter what's going on, we're uh, making it happen. So you can do that at paypal.me slash Skype a scientist or patreon.com slash Skype a scientist. Um, tomorrow, we're going to be talking about Corvids at 3 p.m. Eastern with Kaylee Swift, which is going to be awesome because she's also That's awesome. Cool. This is like a super stacked week. Uh, awesome. on the lineup. So with that, I will uh, <laughs> let you take it away, Jake. Thank you so much, Sarah. Um, so yeah, my name is Jake Belair. I'm a ambassador animal keeper is my like full title. Ambassador animals are animals in zoos that are worked with really closely by the keepers to interact with our guests and help educate our guests. And I can talk a little bit more about that later. Um, I've been here at the Nashville Zoo for almost five years now which is really exciting. This is like my first full-time job. I actually was lucky enough to like get a lot of experience in high school and college so that I could land a full-time job right out of college. And I moved down to Nashville on my graduation weekend, which is kind of insane. Um, and here I am. So my job duties are like kind of exactly what most people expect from a zookeeper like there is a lot of like being around animals but there's a lot less playing with animals than people think so if you like look at my instagram or my twitter feed it like looks like my job is like nothing but cute animals and like having a fun time and most of it is a really fun time but a good you know four to six hours of my day is spent cleaning up after animals and so definitely I'm a poop expert in addition to being an animal expert. So I have to know like what all of my animals, what normal behavior looks like, what normal poop looks like, what normal pee looks like, what normal everything looks like. Um, because as animal keepers, we're like the front line of defense for if an animal gets sick or has an issue going on. Um, I don't treat animals or like diagnose animals, but I certainly am responsible for recording as much information as possible and handing that off to our veterinary team who then kind of observe like what's going on, figure out the logistics of everything and then say, okay, you're going to give this animal this treatment this often. And then that's my job too. Um, I would say 80% of the medicine that we practice at the Nashville Zoo is like preventative stuff. So one of my monthly tasks is going around and doing all the like deworming and stuff like that for a lot of our mammals in our collection. And I'm really fortunate because ambassador animals kind of <clears throat> vary wildly from zoo to zoo, but the Nashville Zoo has a really well-developed ambassador program. And so we have about 80 species of animals that I take care of every day. And we're talking about everything from like tarantulas and scorpions and lizards and snakes to birds of prey like hawks and owls and uh, cats and all kinds of things, crazy stuff. Um, and that's where the joy for me really comes in is the diversity that I get to experience every day. A lot of zoos and our zoo is very much the same are kind of set up like if you're a bird keeper, you work only with birds. Or if you're like a carnivore keeper, you only work with carnivores. 
I bypass all of that. I get to work with everything, which is the best, because on any given day, I could be taking a sloth out to a media visit and then coming back and doing a leopard behind the scenes tour and then pivoting and taking a snake out on the trail to talk to guests. Um, so it's a really fun job and I really love just like coming to work and getting well, in normal times, getting to interact with guests. That's like really the most fun is seeing that spark of someone getting to interact or see an animal for the first time or like, especially when you take out those like creepy crawly animals like a snake or a tarantula or a scorpion and like you get the kids who are engaged and interested and then you have to like convince the parents that like they'll survive this encounter and like everything will be okay. Um, that's just so fun and it's so rewarding to like get to be that person to spark people's interest. That's awesome. I love visiting you at the zoo. I was dazzled by all your animals. Your job seems like the coolest, just the coolest job. Um, as long as you're okay cleaning up poop, which yeah. most scientists end up cleaning poop in some, if you're working with animals in some yeah. way, shape, or form. And I don't think that's a thing people know. Like I think when you think of like a marine biologist, for example, you think you're like out on boats watching whales and sometimes you're doing that, but then sometimes you're like a plumber fixing <laughs> aquarium systems. And sometimes you're just like cleaning up dead shrimp and stuff. And it's fine. It's all yeah. part of it. Yesterday um, I had my arm all the way down to here down a drain because I clogged a drain with oh no. cat poop. Ugh. So great. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Kai, age five, would like to know, where did all the animals in the zoo come from? And did you have to go catch them or what's the deal? Hi, Kai. So modern zoos really don't take animals from the wild as a general rule. Certainly there are some species that are like an exception and we work with all of the like government organizations if we do need to get animals from the wild. But that's like in my time working in zoos, which like I've been working in zoos since I was 13 years old, I would say I could count on one hand, maybe two hands, like the animals that are taken from the wild and all of it, well, not all of it, most of it these days is for breeding purposes. Like if we need new genetic stock, because the whole purpose of zoos these days is like education of people, conservation work, both in the field and in house, like our on-site uh, conservation work, and then breeding animals according to what we call the species survival plan guidelines. So most of the major species that we breed in zoos have a species survival plan. And so we have a team of scientists who work on that and designate which animals should breed with which animals to create the most genetic diversity and the strongest genetic population. Um, and so that's, those are really the only times we take animals from the wild. We do receive quite a few animals from the wild. And I know our zoo is like not any different from other zoos in that regard. So like some of the animals I work with, like our Virginia opossums, their mom was struck and hit by a car and didn't survive. And so they had to be hand raised um, by a wildlife rehabilitator who it was like their first time raising opossums and they were super uh, hands-on with them. And unfortunately, they were not able to be released back into the wild. So they came to us here at the zoo and we provided a permanent home for them. So that's kind of like the, the general way that we get animals from the wild. The vast majority of our animals come from other zoos, be them uh, AZA accredited, which is the Association of Zoos and Aquariums. Where I'm really proud that my zoo works a lot with the private sector because the private sector is really where a lot of incredible genetic stock is right now in terms of like hooved animals, so like your antelopes and gazelles and stuff, birds, 
even reptile, like a lot of stuff comes from the private sector. And so it's really great to be able to work with everyone and really hone in on how we can help the species survive in human care. So what do you mean by private sector for animals? Yeah, so um, there are quite a few like either non-accredited or like accredited by a different organization, um, people and facilities that breed spe different species. One of the struggles that we have as the Association of Zoos and Aquariums is like working with these other people to maintain really great standards of animal care. And there's some incredible private facilities out there that take great care of their animals. Um, and there are also some facilities that don't take great care of their animals. And that really rings true for most things that you look at, like they're good schools, they're bad schools, you know, like right. that's kind of just like a, a life lesson to learn is like not everyone is up at the top. Um, and so when we work with different folks, we vet them properly, we look into their records, we look into all of their like USDA stuff to make sure that their animals are cared for properly. And we will often do a site visit to make sure like, okay, we see it on paper, let's go see it in person to look at like, how, how does this private zoo um, run? Like, what do the animals do every day? What does their care look like? Stuff like that. Cool. Um, have you, Katie, age nine, would like to know, have you ever gotten hurt by an animal at the zoo? Oh, Katie. Honestly, most of my injuries, well, first let me preface it by like, if you get bit by an animal, it's always your fault. <laughs> like, you, you, you've always done something wrong, you didn't read the behavior correctly, you didn't understand what the animal was trying to communicate, um, you did something dumb. I've, I've done many dumb things in my life, I'll admit that. Um, but by and large, most of my things that have happened to me from animals are like infections and gross things like that. I've had cat scratch fever, and I've had weird like skin infections that come from creatures, and that's just because I am not washing my hands properly all the time or whatever, you know? Cool. Okay. So maybe sometimes, but it's not like a reason to not be a zookeeper. No, no, no. Yeah. If you're, if you're reading your animal's behavior correctly, which we should all be doing and like understanding what they mean when they're turning sideways or hissing or getting aggressive, then you shouldn't be being bit by, by animals. That's right. like, if you're getting bit all the time, like you're not doing your job well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what's your favorite animal? Oh my gosh, um, it changes day to day. These days, I've been really crushing hard on my clouded leopards who are just the cutest cats. Um, but I love working with birds and cats. Those are like my two groups. Cool. Um, so you would say birds and cats are also your favorite animal to work with at the zoo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we fly a lot of birds here at the zoo, which is like such a rewarding thing to get to train a bird to fly outside and like completely unrestrained and just going all over. Um, so we definitely do a lot of that. And then cats are just like, can you beat cats, really? I don't know, cats are pretty great. We're also talking about big cats on Monday with Imogen. Imogen, um, we're gonna talk all about the Tiger King and everything that's wrong with it. And so it's gonna be a juicy one. But anyway, um, so let's see. What's the hardest part of being a zookeeper? Um, definitely like animals passing away is the hardest part and obviously death is very much a part of life and you kind of acknowledge that like I feel like I can handle death of humans and animals a lot better than other folks just because I've experienced a lot of it and that's not due to like a lack of care it's just like if you're taking care of 150 animals like chances are they're gonna die um, and that's just life. 
but especially when you're working with animals that have like a shorter lifespan, like animals that typically only live five years. Okay, well, you're going to see a handful of them come and go. Um, so that's really tough because you build a relationship and you build this bond with these animals and then you see them start young and then age and then get older and then pass on. Um, and that's, that's tough, but it's definitely rewarding to know that you've like made a difference and you've made their life great. Yeah. Um, Patrick would like to know, is there a group of animals that interact with humans better than others? Do mammals get along with humans better than reptiles or birds or anything like that? I think um, most people's experiences with mammals, like cats and dogs at home. And so I think that's like where people gravitate towards like what they're comfortable with. Um, it, it really all just depends on the individual. I, I work with a handful of birds that really like any kind of interaction from any people. And then I work with a handful that are like, you need to leave me alone. Like if I don't know you, I don't wanna be near you. And I, I think I work with a handful of mammals who are the same. They're kind of like, I guess you can come over that's fine, you know, like kind of indifferent. Cool. Um, Edith would like to know, I wanna be a wildlife researcher when I grow up. Do you have any tips? For wildlife research, like my degree is in zoo and wildlife biology, and that was a really great degree to like, kind of, it was kind of a mix of both. So we took statistics and we took like other kinds of like sciencey courses that you would use as a wildlife researcher. So I would definitely like look at your degree really hard and like look at the core courses and look at the extracurriculars that go along with that because that's kind of where all the experience is. And for most jobs, it's not just about having a piece of paper that says like you paid X number of dollars and did this, you know, work in the classroom. It's about what do you, what do you actually know? What do you know how to do and what have you practiced? Yeah. Um, do you have any pets at home? I have a golden gecko who I forget about sometimes because he's very much like one of those animals who likes to be left alone. Mm -hmm. And so I turn on his light every morning and I turn it off. <laughs> that's the extent of our interaction and I give him crickets. Sounds good. Um, how many different types of animals do you raise at the zoo? Um, it really depends. We're all about, most zoos are all about like letting animals raise their own young. There's no amount of experience that you can have raising baby animals that makes you better than its own mother. Um, but I've, you know, I, since I work with ambassador animals, we need animals that are like very comfortable being around people. And so often we are the ones who take in animals that like got rejected by their mother, which happens fairly frequently. Um, their mother didn't produce enough milk properly. Their father got aggressive. Their mother got aggressive, like things like that, which happen very frequently in the wild and also like happen in humans too. I think that's like an important thing to like help remind people is like humans aren't that great of parents either. So just because like an animal in human care isn't a great parent, like that's no, no real like uh, judgment on the quality of care they're receiving. Um, so I've gotten to help raise binturongs, porcupines, kangaroos, clouded leopards, a tamandua, quite a few things and not really any birds oh flamingos forgot about them that was like six months of my life <laughs> flamingos are so cute they are um, we love that okay so do you ever let animals go or do they live in the zoo forever uh certainly we transfer animals to other zoos and institutions like as needed um but we in, in my department we're really focused on like birth to death care we don't want to just like 
if the animal isn't uh, fitting in the job that we wanted it to do, we're not gonna be like, okay, well, you can't be here anymore. We want to find a role that each of the animals can take um, based on their preferences. Cool. Um, so Truman would like to know, uh, do you have any endangered animals in the zoo? We have quite a few endangered species at the National Zoo. So um, if you go to nationalzoo.org, you can find like a list of a lot of the animals that are at the zoo. And we actually have on our website, a list of all of the like critically endangered and endangered species that we work with. Um, some of the ones that come to the top of my head are we work with gibbons and siamangs, which are kinds of lesser apes. We work with clouded leopards, which are threatened in the wild, hyacinth macaws, um, quite a few different things, lemurs. Cool. Um, do you work with any household animals or farm animals or are they all like wild animals? I actually do. I have um, a rabbit. Actually, I have a couple rabbits I take care of. Chinchillas, hedgehogs. Um, I guess that's it right now. Yeah. Cool. Um, do you think that the animals remember you? Some of them do and some of them like decidedly do not. Um, it's interesting to me because I think a lot of the reptiles can actually like tell the difference between the different handlers here, just based on like smell and the sound and the like uh, way you're carrying yourself around them. But I don't think that any of them like seek us out and are like, oh my gosh, I love Jake. Um, but they're definitely like the binturongs, the leopards and some of the birds are definitely like more pro Jake than other animals. And that is the best feeling in the world. Like when I open the door and my one flamingo poblano comes running over and like wants to be on top of me, that's like incredible. That's so cute. Um, what inspired you to be a zookeeper? Um, when I was young, I wanted to be a farmer because I wanted to be around animals all the time. And then I like found out that that's like, you can't just like take care of animals as a farmer. Like there has to be like a purpose. Um, and so then I didn't want to do that. And then I thought I wanted to be a vet. And then I like did a couple like shadow opportunities. And I was like, I don't really want to work with sick animals all the time. Like vets do incredible work, but that's like so emotionally taxing. Um, so then zookeeping was it. And I started volunteering at my local zoo in Ohio when I was 13. And I was like hooked. I was like, education is amazing. Um, and that's what I did for a handful of years. And I got to work with ambassador animals. And then I was like, oh, this is, this is where it's at. Like interacting with people and animals, there, there's no, no better job for me. That's awesome. Um, Gracie, age 11, would like to know, um, how, how would you go about getting a job like yours? Or what are things that you should do? For zookeeping especially, we talked a little bit about like wildlife research earlier. For zookeeping especially, like I can say that experience is key. So um, get as many opportunities as you can. As soon as you can, start volunteering at a local nature center, wildlife rehabilitator, or zoo um, to get experience. And then just do everything you can to keep learning and keep growing in the field and apply to lots of jobs. When I applied to this job, there were like 200 other people who applied. And you have to like be aggressive when you're doing your job searches. Like, just keep applying. You'll get a lot of no's, but you'll get some yeses. That's so true. That's true of like any dream job, I think. You have to be willing to get some rejection before you get there. Yes. And just let that roll off your back. Um, so are there a lot of opportunities for keepers to get involved in larger conservation re research and efforts? Yeah, our zoo is incredible in that sense. So we send staff all around the world to help with conservation projects. So we have people who've gone to Sand Cobb to do uh, African black-footed penguin rehabilitation and release. Um, we've sent people down to South America a couple different times, both to work with a rehab center down there that does a lot of really great um, local animal 
uh, conservation work. And then we've also sent folks to do like giant anteater and giant armadillo research down in South America. We have one keeper who goes down to Chile to work with Chilean flamingos. Um, lots of external stuff. We also do a lot of work with hellbenders and uh, alligator snapping turtles right here in Tennessee and loggerhead shrikes. Those are kind of our three big like local ones that we either do like Head Start programs where we'll go collect eggs or collect young animals, raise them for a couple years till they're out of that like really dangerous zone of being small and easy to eat. And then we release them back into the wild. Um, and we also, we breed loggerhead shrikes here at the zoo for release into the wild, which I th just think is so cool. And it's easy to forget that it's happening when I come to work every day. And then I like drive past our shrike holding and I'm like, oh my that's God. so cool. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, do you ever rescue animals from humans, like smugglers or like roadside um, zoos and stuff? Yeah, we have a relationship with uh, the Tennessee Wildlife Re Resources Agency, um, and they will like randomly be like, hi, these folks had five alligators living in their basement. Like, we need you to hold on to them until we can find them a suitable home. Um, so we definitely, there was one time a couple years ago that we got like I walked into our quarantine area and there were like 20 new snakes, like none of which were ours, like <laughs> from somebody who like wasn't supposed to have them. So we definitely get our fair share of like, hi, this person was doing something wrong. Take these. And we're like, and snakes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That happens. Um, let's see. Uh, okay. So what's going on? It's okay. COVID people are mostly staying home. What is going on with the zoo? Um, so uh, you may have heard like in the past like four days, a tiger at Bronx Zoo tested positive for COVID-19. And it looks like a lot of those cats are like on the way to recovery, which is really good. So since that came out, before that we were just like, we shut down operations, the zoo is close to the public. It's really just essential staff here on ground. So that's like um, ground keepers who are incredible and do all of the like heavy lifting of the cleaning of the park. And then the animal keepers who are here to take care of the animals every day. Um, and we try to operate as as normal as possible. So a lot of the animals are still going out onto exhibit. Um, a lot of the animals I work with are still, we're free flying birds around the zoo and we're getting them out for walks like normal so that they can like have some semblance of like normalcy. Um, now with this change, we're wearing masks and you know, even higher percentage of, or like rate of washing our hands and disinfecting tools and stuff. Every day we go through and we disinfect every tool that we touch. Um, every surface that we came in contact with, we scrub our shoes and all of that. We bring our uniforms to work and leave them here and then take them all home at the end and clean them. So a lot of precautions just in like cleaning. Um, so this is like my first time not wearing a mask for a while today and it feels great. Yeah, get some air in that face. Yeah. <sighs> Masks seem brutal. Um, let's see, what's the hardest animal to take care of at the zoo? Tur Turston or Thurston, depending on where he's from, would like to know. Okay, um, it, it depends on the day. For me, if you come in with a headache and the birds are all screaming, like the cockatoo is like, wah, 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 that's like really difficult. And you're like, I'm losing my mind. <laughs> um, but mammals, like mammals just smell. They're very gross. I'm just not into it. Mammals are stinky. Okay, good yeah. to know. Um, Riley would like to know, do you ever let penguins like go for walks around the zoo? Um, we don't have penguins here, but we have a lot of creatures that go for walks around the zoo. So my flamingo chicks walk around. We take our um, singing dog. We used to take her out for walks, our serval, um, lots of things for walks. We take snakes out and let them slither around. Uh, yeah, it's a fun time. 
That's great. Um, how do you come up with the names for the animals? Like, is there a group that decides that? Um, it depends. For a lot of the exhibit animals, that is like an opportunity that we can like auction off the opportunity to name the animal and then we can like donate all that money to conservation. So that's what happened with our white rhinos, which was really awesome. Um, animals in my department, like sometimes people really care. Like we're I, down the road, we're supposed to be getting some lynx and I really love Celine Dion and Carly Rae Jepsen and they're Canada lynx. So Carly and Celine, hello. So I've, I, you know, I, when I see something coming down the pike, I like put my bid in for it. Say we've got an obvious choice for these animals. Yeah, um, but there are other ones like we had a we have a corn snake who like no one really cared what his name was, so I named it Jake. Great. So, yeah. Snake, it, it makes sense. Yeah. I was literally listening to Carly Rae Jepsen while getting ready this morning, so that really hit home for me. Uh, what's the biggest reptile at the zoo? Um, we have an alligator who's pretty big, but I think the green anaconda is bigger. Oh man, those are so cool. Yeah. Um, have any animals escaped before? Yeah, I'm trying to think. We've had like random things like a bird, their wings got too long, like we weren't trimming their feathers and they like got some wind and then we're just like strolling around the zoo. Um, there's one time like somehow a, the mesh like kind of broke open in our red panda holding and there was a panda that was like above its exhibit for like some time, but like nothing, nothing too crazy. Cool. Um, what's the oldest animal at the zoo? The cockatoo I work with is like probably somewhere in his 40s. So I wouldn't be shocked if he was one of the older animals in the zoo. Cool. Um, let's see. Did I already ask what the hardest animal in the zoo to take care of is? Mm -hmm. I did ask that, okay. Sometimes we get uh, double questions and I can't keep track of my brain. Um, what's the smallest animal at the zoo? Crickets, cockroaches. Um, yeah, probably crickets. We, we have tiny little pinhead crickets, like baby crickets that we feed to different animals and those are teeny. Yeah, um, do you guys have elephants at the zoo? Not anymore. We sent our elephants out in 2015 to like, cause their barn needed renovated. Um, and that is like a thing down the road, like in 20 years, we'll probably have elephants again. Cool. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about hellbenders? Oh gosh. Um, so hellbenders are giant salamanders that live in water. And here in Tennessee and like, I think most of the Eastern United States in like really clean water, there are hellbenders that live. Um, and that's kind of like a really good indicator of like how healthy your stream water is, is like, are there amphibians living around there, especially hellbenders. So um, our amazing herpetology team here at the zoo, they work with all of the like amphibians, reptiles, and they um, do the Head Start program for them and we'll go collect eggs and then raise them here at the zoo for a while so they're a little bigger because they can get, this doesn't really tell you anything, let's say eight inches long. That's eight inches, Sarah. Okay. Um, and uh, they get about that big. Um, and then they also do projects where they will like build uh, contraptions for the hellbenders to hide in out in the wild. Like, and then they can put those in stream beds as well. Awesome. Um, do you ever handle venomous animals? Not anymore. Back in the day when I worked at a couple other zoos, I did handle uh, South Pacific rattlesnakes and Gila monsters. Um, I don't need an adrenaline rush anymore. I'm good. That's good. Uh, Gila monsters are super cool. They're so uh, cute. 
they're cute and they're weird and yeah but if you get bitten you're that's it like it's a bummer it's a real bummer man they don't let go um yeah anyway uh arian wants to know is there any way to track animals if they get lost do you like chip your your leopards or yeah, most of our mammals have a microchip. A lot of our birds do as well. And then when I'm like, one of my jobs is like training birds to free fly outside for demonstrations. Um, some of the birds who are like more of a flight risk, like our auger buzzard or our barn owls, we put telemetry equipment on. And that's like the same kind of equipment that like researchers in the wild use um, to follow animals and like figure out where they are. But we've really never, our, when we used to fly our, Eurasian eagle owl like he has a brain that's that big um and he would like randomly get like scared by a crow and then fly 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 and we right. use the telemetry to find him oh my god silly birds um Jacob would like to know do you work with all of the species every day or is it like Monday Wednesday Friday we do leopards and Tuesday Thursday spiders or whatever um right now I work in like one building every day but I still see some of the other animals so I take care of flamingos aardvark binturongs leopards hornbills, parrots, a crow, an armadillo, a porcupine, and a sloth right now. Those are like my everyday guys. Cool. Um, how big do sloths get? Ours is about nine or 10 kilograms, which is like a good size sloth. That's like 22, 23 pounds. That's, that's a good size sloth. Cool. Is it a three-toed or two-toed? Two-toed. Two-toed. Yeah. Well, which ones are bigger? I think she's a Lynn's two-toed, and I want to say that they're the largest, but that could be completely wrong. That's just like either way. Yeah. Um, cool. So let's see. Um, is it possible to remove venom from a venomous animal? You can like extract venom, and that's how they make a lot of like antivenins and like a lot of uh, different like research type stuff. Um, they will like put a jar and then like have, I can't remember the material that they use, and then they get the snake to bite this, and then the venom comes out. Um, I don't know if you could like extract or like take out their venom glands, but like that's not a thing that we would do. Right. Um, do you guys have any giraffes at the zoo? Ava, age 10, would like to know. Yes, we do have giraffes. They're real cool, real tall. Real tall. Um, do you have like any animal encounters that people can do where like they feed the giraffes leaves or anything? Um, in our backstage pass tours, people can go meet the giraffes up close and you can feed them leaves and get slobbered on. People really like that. Uh, my best friend Jenkins, who does all of our like informatics at Skype a Scientist, his favorite animal is the giraffe. And so one day, one day I took him to feed the giraffes and he was- That's excited. rad. It was great. Um, so how many, this, this is, you may not know the answer to this, but the Skillmans would like to know how many pounds of food do animals eat each week at the whole zoo? Oh gosh. Um, so much. So much. I know where I can find that information. Um, so I, I'll get that information. I have like my Twitter page is Zookeeper Jake and I'll try to get a picture of the infographic that I can think of and I'll post that soon. Great. That info. Um, cool. So how many people does it take to, to take care of a whole zoo? Quite a few. So it's not just animal keepers. We rely a lot on every other department. So we have like a marketing department who does all the PR for the zoo. And we have development folks who go out and fundraise for the zoo because we're a nonprofit. So the only way that we are making money is like through private donors and through people walking through the gates. 
Um, so this is like a tough time for us along with a lot of other businesses because like if people can't come to the zoo, we can't make money to feed all the animals and pay all the staff. Um, we have janitors, we have horticulturists, we have all kinds of folks. I think on staff here, we have about 150 full-time folks and then quite a few part-time and seasonal folks who come in for the busy season of the year. Cool. Um, that's a lot of people. Uh, could you tell us what a singing dog is? Yeah, so a singing dog is a dog species that's native to the island of New Guinea, which is right off the coast of Australia. And they howl louder than wolves and have a really wide vocal range. And that's how they get the name of singing dog. Cool. Um, what's some enrichment that you do with your ambassador animals? Um, Every day we do something different. So today I went out and cut down some honeysuckle because a lot of the animals like to like chew on the branches or on the leaves. Um, but that's like not just food enrichment, that's also like, uh, oh gosh, I can't think of my words, I'm sorry. Uh, it's good smells, it's good new novel objects. Um, we have all kinds of spices and perfumes that we'll put around, we'll give different like novel food presentations. So I like to like freeze food sometimes for the creatures or, Put some yogurt in it or do something different um, and then training is a lot of the like enrichment that we do is like training a new behavior or going to a new place is really enriching and stimulating cool um so someone wants to know do you have bull sharks um but i don't know if anybody has bull sharks in captivity i don't think so i, don't think oh, so. I know we don't <laughs> i know you don't but i'm trying to think of any aquarium that would have a bull shark and i'm pretty sure the answer is no they're quite aggressive and one of the more dangerous types of shark for people anyway. Right. There's a, um, a book about back in, I wanna say the early 1900s that um, takes place, it's, it's a, a true book, a nonfiction book, talk about words. Um, and bull <laughs> sharks can go from saltwater to freshwater. And so they, they swam up the rivers around Jersey and they were like eating little boys and they were like swimming in the creeks and stuff. And it's like, whew. Too scary. Uh, you're fine. But sharks are great, everyone. Sharks are great. Oh, sharks are amazing, and we love them, and you should never hurt them, and we love them so much. But bull sharks freak me out a little. Okay, so uh, are there any other aquatic animals that are at the zoo? We have a handful. I am like the polar opposite of Sarah. I am like not smart enough to understand water science or water quality, any of that stuff. So I do not do anything with any aquatic creatures here at the zoo. Um, the flamingo pool is like the extent of what I do and I just fill that up and drain every day. Um, but we have a lot of fish. We have um, like lionfish. I know we have upside down jellies, mangrove jellyfish, which I love. Um, yeah, we have a handful of stuff. Cool. What's the most endangered species that you have at the zoo? Um, we have Panamanian golden frogs. Probably some kind of amphibian that we work with. I can't think of anything too great. You know, red panda, those are pretty endangered. That sounds good. Yeah, um, yeah. leopards are probably endangered, right? Yeah. You yeah. don't know like what's the maximally endangered. Yeah, that's like, that's a tough that's question. A question. Good question. Yeah, that is a really good question. Because sometimes we know an animal's endangered, but we it's like so hard to quantify. So it's like, how endangered? It's like, you know. And you're like, your data might be five years we can old. Know. It's hard. It's hard. Yeah. Anyway, um, Jasper, age five, would like to know if you have hippos. No hippos, but that's in our big Africa expansion that's like in the next 15 years. Are there any animals that you would be afraid to be the zookeeper of? No. That's good. 
I've heard yeah. hippos are scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. I, yeah. I, like, I don't really I, dislike any. I just don't like legless lizards. I'll say that. <laughs> like, because like, they can look at you. Oh. I, I don't know. It that, freaks, yeah, that's, that's valid. That's the animal that I've ever, like, mm, I'm good. You're good on the legless lizard. <laughs> yeah. That's fair. Um, let's see. Oh, what's an upside down jellyfish? That's a great question. Oh my gosh. Well, you probably know way more than I do, but. They're called Cassiopeia, which is like the same as the uh, constellation. They're basically jellyfish that just flop on the, on the seafloor and then they like beat. So if they, here's the seafloor, they just beat up and down like this. So instead of being bloop, 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 through the water, they're just upside down on the sediment and they're waiting for things to fall and then they eat them like that. So they're just like a goofy jellyfish that's very pretty. They're like blue and purplish. They're really, really pretty. Um, and they're relatively easy to take care of because a lot of jellyfish get themselves into trouble by like swimming into the edges of tanks and they kind of hurt themselves. And these jellyfish just like, there's couch potatoes and you feed them brine shrimp and they're happy. and they're cute. And cute, yeah. So that's what the deal with upside down jellyfish is. Um, Dale would like to know if you have any box jellyfish, and I don't think you know what. There's an aquarium in Okinawa that has some box jellyfish, and wow. they are very scary. Yeah, um, that's terrifying. Yeah, that's a, you have to be um, brave to have a box jellyfish in your aquarium. Yeah. Um, let's see. We have okay, good. We still have a couple minutes left. Um, What's the strangest food you have to feed an animal? That's a great question. Oh, um, I'm blanking. We feed a lot of like meat to our, our carnivores. So like there are days when it's like rat or mouse, which is like pretty normal. And then there will be like chick days or like quail days. And those are like, I love little chicks. It's like, oh, sorry. Oh. Could you tell us more about raising your flamingos? Because watching you do that was just so cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, that food was really gross. So the flamingo diet that we got was like developed by like the Bronx Zoo and Birmingham Zoo. And it's effectively like a bunch of chicken eggs that are hard boiled and then blended with vitamin E and corn oil and calcium carbonate. And then it's like, here's your formula which is really nasty. Um, and so we got all of our eggs from Memphis Zoo and Zoo Atlanta. We hashed them out and then we started hand raising them. And for the first like 24 hours, they really just get like a little dribble of Pedialyte just to like hydrate and be like, how are you doing? And then we start on a really watered down Pedialyte uh, formula. And then um, eventually they bulk up to the full formula. And basically what we have to do, what mom and dad would do is secrete crop milk from a pouch near their throat that comes out and just like dribbles into the baby's mouth but it's like easy to aspirate or you know liquid goes down into the lungs and that's not good so what we did we had these really long tubes and like a bunch of different sizes and you take the flamingo baby's mouth and you would put the tube all the way down into that crop which is where they kind of break down their food before digesting it um, and then squirt the food down into it. And you get really good at like shoving a tube down their throat and like finding where it is. Cause it's like not a very comfortable process for them obviously, but they like understand after a while that like, I'm trying to give you sustenance. So like, it'll be okay. Right. That's cool. So when I was with you, you um, like kind of cuddled the, yeah. the babies. Like what's that about? 
Yeah, so ambassador animals really need to be used to just like every tiny little stimulus out there because like if I want to be able to walk my flamingos through the zoo, they have to come in contact with like thousands of people, strollers, birds flying overhead, loud noises, bubbles, like you name it, they have to deal with it. And so from a young age, we build a really strong bond with all of our ambassador animals. So we sit with them as much as possible. We feed them. You know, we do all the bonding things, like playing with them and just like social time, in addition to like more formal training where we're like training specific behaviors. But that relationship building is so important because if something startles them, like if a new stimulus like that we didn't plan for comes, what we want them to do instead of being like freaked out is we want them to come right to us and be like, hi, I know that I'm safe here. Um, and so our flamingos will definitely do that. If like a goose flies overhead, they'll be like, let me come near you, safety here. Um, and that's what we want. We want them to be like, feel confident enough to like make a, a good decision, come right over to us. Um, because that is the way that we can then desensitize them to new stimuli as well. Awesome, um, cool. So we try to keep these at 45 minutes and it is 41 minutes in. So we always end with the same two questions. Okay. First question, what is one thing that you wish everybody knew related to your area of expertise? And then what is something that you wish everybody knew about literally anything? Oh gosh, um, for my area of expertise, I think it's like important, like we said at the beginning, it's like animal keepers be it in research or in a zoo setting, like a large portion of our job is taking care of the animals because the animals cannot be healthy and happy and cute in all the videos that we like to post if they are not receiving top quality care that involves a lot of poop um, and cleaning. So that's my thing for people to know about me. Um, one thing people knew about just like anything, y'all know that tamanduas exist? No, tell us about tamanduas. Okay, tamanduas are lesser anteaters, but they are like much better than any other kind of anteater, even the greater anteaters. They're like this big, like the size of a large cat, and they usually have like some kind of vest coloring, like black or gray, and then they're usually tan, and they just have the cutest faces. They're awesome. the coolest animals out there. Awesome. Um, okay, and then not related to your work. Oh, oh gosh, not related to my work at all. Oh, or I guess Tamandua is, is, that's a good one. Um, no, I can come up with something come up with something totally not zoo related. I'm so sorry, I did not understand the prompt. <laughs> What's one thing that I wish people knew? Um, can I come up with something? Y'all know that Celine Dion is still producing music at this age? That is a great piece of information. And she looks Celine incredible. Dion is an inspiration. Yeah, awesome. that's my thing, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Okay, great. So thank you so much for taking time. Am I frozen right now, by the way? No, you keep like pausing. Like Okay, my, my whole screen is frozen, but we're just going to keep uh, keep going. So um, okay, so thank you for taking the time to do this today. This was so cool. Zookeeping is amazing. Um, Erin, thank you for signing. As always, I know, shout out to Erin because it we started at 8 a.m. her time today because she's out in Oregon and that that is really early and we really appreciate Aaron for being here um and also tomorrow at 3 p.m eastern we are talking with Kaylee Swift all about corvids corvids are crows ravens magpies and probably other birds too that I don't know about but we'll learn all about them tomorrow um Kaylee is super engaging and wonderful and uh it's gonna be a good session so be there um, again, we are a nonprofit and we really appreciate any donations we can get. Um, that's through paypal.me slash Skype a scientist or patreon.com slash Skype a scientist. Jake, do you have anything you would like to plug? 
Uh, no, no. Do Skype the scientists, y'all. Help them out. Great. Um, and where can we find you again on uh, Instagram and or Twitter? Um, Zookeeper Jake. Zookeeper Jake. Awesome. Okay. Uh, well, thank you all for being here. We'll see you tomorrow. Uh, thank you again, Jake and Aaron. Thank you so much. See you later. Bye.